knows that ultimately one of my sermons will eventually go to Ecclesiastes at some point or another. If you have ever heard me preach on Ecclesiastes, I'm sorry. Uh, it, is, uh, it is one of those things. Uh, I'll give you a little little backstory, and then I'll, I'll explain how this ties in with camp and some of the other things that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, I, I started studying Ecclesiastes when I was in college. Uh, I had the grand vision of, of memorizing it. Still have not succeeded in that goal yet. Maybe someday. Uh, but you know what? You, you got you to keep a goal ahead of you. It just keeps you, keeps you going, and, and that way I'll make sure I'll never accomplish that goal, so I'll always have it ahead of me. Just someday I'll do it. Um, but but I, I had that grand idea. And I started studying through the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you haven't read the book of Ecclesiastes recently, the book of Ecclesiastes is a book of the Bible written by Solomon, wisest man who ever lived. Uh, the man was unbelievably wealthy, unbelievably wise. Uh, if, if you were looking at life experience and you were looking at a guy who has been there and done that and gotten multiple t-shirts, uh, Solomon is your guy. All right. Uh, I love going to Solomon because anything you could possibly say, like, that's what I want to live for. Solomon's like, been there. You did it. And he just, he just, it's like the trump card of everything. He's just like, oh, I want like multiple houses. Solomon's like, got him. I want like multiple people working for me. Got him. In fact, I had kids of them born in my house. Uh, I want musicians, you know, MP3 players, not enough. I want the actual musician. Solomon's like, had it. Uh, I like pools. Got it. I like trees. Got him. I mean, you go through the list of the things Solomon had. He had the degrees. He had the possessions. He had everything you can imagine. And so, so what I started doing is, as I started studying this book, I treated it like a science experiment, where what Solomon is doing is he's approaching life and he's saying, let's do a grand science experiment. Let's look at what life's all about, and let's let's figure out what brings the most satisfaction. Let's let's figure out what brings out the the best of everything. And he starts doing experiment upon experiment upon experiment. And ultimately, at the end of every experiment, he comes back and goes, well, that failed to get the result I wanted. All right. I, I was a chemistry teacher one time. And uh, <laughs> just once. Uh, you know, <laughs> once you get the fire department called on you enough times, they send you to California. And, uh, and so I was, I was doing a, an experiment one time. And uh, it, it just completely failed to work the way it was supposed to. Have any of you guys ever seen a thermite reaction? Or you know what I'm talking about when I talk about thermite reactions. Uh, look them up on YouTube. They're really fun. Uh, I couldn't do them nearly to that extent that you're going to find. But a thermite reaction is something that gets so hot and fiery that it actually will melt metal. And the metal will drip out the bottom of the pot that you, you do it in. It's, it's amazing. I am not good at thermite reactions. All right, They work about once every other time that I do them. And uh, so one time I was in my classroom and I'd been trying to demonstrate a thermite reaction. And it did not go off during class. It started going off between classes as things moved. And so I've got this fireball, you know, shooting up and flames shooting everywhere. And so I could sufficiently say that I had the right ingredients, but that experiment failed. All right. In fact, there was one time where one of these, the ballasts and one of these lights blew in the library and it filled the hallways with such smoke and not smoke, but this weird smell that everyone came rushing into my classroom uh, expecting that, you know, there was something I had done that had set that off. And I was like, no, 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 I wasn't doing anything. I was just sitting in my lab for once. And, uh, but, but that's what I was known for, like doing weird experiments. Sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't. So as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, I want you to approach the book of Ecclesiastes like it is a science experiment. The conclusion you're trying to get to is what brings satisfaction? The conclusion you're trying to get to is what is a life worth living? Let's try this. Let's try that. Let's try that. Now, how does this tie into camp? 
Now, now tonight, Lord willing, I'll give you guys some of the statistics and tell you a little bit about what happened at camp this summer. I uh, got a lot of really cool news to share with you guys. But what I want to do today is I want to share something that we did a few summers ago. Now, a few summers ago, uh, and for those of you who don't know, uh, I, I run the teen camp uh, at Wolf Mountain, and uh, I used to work a lot with the college students. But what happened was we were studying out a, a theme, a historical theme, on Lewis and Clark. Because, you know, when you're trying to appeal to teenagers, you know, Lewis and Clark, that gets them in the door. Like nobody's business. And then after that, it's trains. Because I'm just kidding. No, these, these are not like appealing themes, but it's how we work. And uh, so Lewis and Clark, what we try to do is we try to take a historical theme because, you know, we're in the gold rush area of California. And we try to tie it in with a spiritual theme and we try to make it fun. All right, so we take history, we take the Bible, and then we take games, and we mix them all together, and we hope it makes sense. And uh, so what we're doing is Lewis and Clark, and, and as we started thinking through, how do you tie a spiritual theme in with Lewis and Clark? Like, what do you do with that? And we got thinking, and we're like, well, Lewis and Clark had a whole bunch of guides. And they had a whole bunch of people who made it possible for them to get from a place they knew to a place they didn't. And they, they got from the place they knew to the place they didn't, by having a whole lot of people along the way who knew what was going on to help them. You know, you think Sacagawea and all these other names that we're, we're very familiar with when we study Lewis and Clark. And as you go from the East Coast to the West, these people who are on the route, they knew what was going on. They said, like, don't go that way. Go that way. Take that path. Don't take that path. Don't shoot that. You know, they, like they, they knew that type of stuff. And so what we decided to do is we decided to, because it's so popular and famous, we decided to do a museum theme. It actually worked, believe it or not. But but if you're trying to sell that to a teenager and you're like, hey guys, you're going to be setting up a museum themed around Lewis and Clark. Yeah, no, no, I'm good. Uh, I hear Disney's fun this time of year. No, but, but what we did is we set up a museum. And what you're doing is you're going in the museum and in this alternate reality, Lewis and Clark failed because they did not listen to their guides. And so what we have left behind are the lost journals of Lewis and Clark. And so we made a fake journal, and inside the journal is all sorts of writing that recounts the tale of Lewis and Clark and how they utterly failed to listen to the people who were trying to tell them what to do. This gave hints on how to win the games, gave hints on where artifacts were hidden, gave hints on certain things that would get them rewards. So one time throughout the week, we had a thing called a Bible quiz, and we kept saying, the chief is coming, the chief is coming, and they're like, well, so? In this book, it tells them that this guy called the chief showed up, and if they had built a bow as a cabin and memorized the verse all together, then they'd get a reward. And the chief shows up and says, anybody done the bow? Anybody memorized the verse? No? Okay. How were we supposed to know about that? I don't know. You might have, might have had a book we gave you at the beginning of the week. That, and, and so what we saw is there would be campers who would absolutely pour over this. There'd be some campers who'd be like, guys, I, I got the secret. I got the secret on how to win this game. So we were playing dodgeball, and I slipped a blue bucket into there. And I put a little hint in here about, we were playing this game with the Indians, and I didn't get it, and there was this blue pot they put out on the field, and we broke it, and they got really mad at us. And they're like, what's the blue bucket for? Why is, why is there a blue bucket? And if they hit it, it reset all their points. And some of them didn't know because, you know, they hadn't read the guide. They would aim for the blue bucket because, you know, it's got to be there for a reason. Yeah. Exactly. It's there to see if you're reading the guide. And so there were all these hints that we put in there. And so as you played the games, there were some rules we didn't explain. They were just there. 
and we would be like, number one, and they're like, what do you mean number one? I don't, I don't know what that, oh, there's a list here. And so what we challenged them all that week was this idea of follow your guide. Follow your guide. Solomon, in writing the book of Ecclesiastes, is basically like this fictional journal. He's going through his life and saying, guys, I tried it. It didn't work. Listen to my experience and don't repeat the mistake. And Solomon's going through over and over and anything that you could possibly live for, anything that could possibly draw your attention, anything that you could possibly say, this is the thing that will satisfy me. Solomon said, just check my journal because I tried all those things. Just, Just double check to make sure it's not talked about in here and follow your guide. And so as we saw campers, and as we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, and as we relived the fictional world of Lewis and Clark, we kept coming back day after day after day and saying, follow your guide. Follow your guide. And what I found was really amazing is through the years that I've studied Ecclesiastes, and I've gotten the chance to, to do an entire year study in it in an adult Sunday school class. I've taught through the book a few times uh, at camp or other places. I, I, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. But I find it amazing because the one area that really has challenged me is, is there was this time where I was teaching out of school. I wasn't poor by any stretch. I had, I had an okay amount of money just from teaching and, and, and not spending like any of it. And as I was systematically teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes, verse by verse, and you go through, Solomon talks a lot about money. It comes up over and over and over again. And just, just so you know, the Bible says Solomon was so rich that a, a block of silver was like a stone of the street. Like, like that's filthy rich. Like, that's just ridiculous. All right? You talk about walking by and saying, I'm not going to bother to pick up that rock. It's not worth my time. Yet that rock's a piece of silver. Saying, I'm so rich, it's not worth my time to bend over and pick up a rock. And Solomon had that level of wealth, but he would talk about how it didn't satisfy He would use this word, and and if you're going to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, you need to understand this word, hevel. The word hevel, it's often translated vanity. And and throughout the the, the Bible, it'll say, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity. He'll use that word vanity. The the word literally means vapor. It it has the idea of something that you see, and and you you think it's got some substance to it. You reach out, and you reach out to grab it, and it just vanishes. I like to use the comparison, if you know mythology at all, and you know about the thing called the will of the wisp. All right, A will of the wisp is this fictional little thing that's off in the swamp, and you're walking through that trail, and you see this shiny object off, and you're like, ooh. And, and it's this distraction, it's this shiny object, and you get distracted with it, and you, you wander off this direction, and you think you have reached it, and you're like, where is it? Oh, it's there. And, and you, you start wandering a little closer, and it, it keeps falling back farther and farther. The word hevel, the word vanity that you're going to see throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity. He's repeatedly saying, there are these things that look like they have a substance to them. They look like they're there. And the moment you get up to it and you go, I found it. It just vanishes in a puff of smoke. And now it's a little farther back. And he uses the illustration with money. He uses the illustration with possessions. He uses the illustration with pretty much anything you can imagine. And he says, I sought for satisfaction. I sought for the thing that would give me like this feeling of of completeness. And he said, I kept going after money, wealth, relationships, whatever. And he said, it's like this thing where it's it's this this puffy vapor that looks and it says, this is what's going to satisfy. 
And so we chase after it, and the moment we get up close enough to latch onto it, it's gone. It's vanity. It's vapor. It just goes poof. And now it's farther back. And I found it funny because I was teaching through Ecclesiastes for a whole year, and I had an hour-long drive as I drove the bus up to school, and I would be sitting there just like, you know, running through things in my head, just stupid scenarios, like, what would you do if you had $10 trillion? You know, and and I, I got thinking, like, man, I wish I had just a little bit more money. And the funny thing is, like, I'm sitting there on Sunday, teaching through Ecclesiastes, talking about the idea that money doesn't satisfy, yet when I'm just kind of mindlessly driving along, just, you know, I don't have anything to think about, and I'm thinking, I just kind of wish I had a little bit more money. I bet it would satisfy. What did you just talk about on Sunday? Yeah, well, I mean, Solomon said that money doesn't satisfy. But man, if I had like $10 trillion, could you imagine? That would be really cool. I bet it would satisfy. And like, in a figurative way, I had to slap myself upside the face because I'm like, you have been teaching this. You, you have been repeating this lesson that Solomon has taught us over and over and over. And, and really, like, I felt like I was repeating myself because literally I preached like three different Sunday schools on money be, over the course of a few months. And I'm like, I feel like I'm using the same notes. I feel like I'm re-repeating the same lesson over and over because that's what Solomon does. He just keeps coming back to the same thing. And so one of the keys you have to understand as you go into Ecclesiastes, as we study this book, is you've got to actually listen to your guide. Like, it's all well and good when you say, oh, of course, I mean, I have the book memorized. Well, what good is it if you're not doing anything with it? What, what good is it if I had this entire journal memorized and I got to that stupid dodgeball game with the blue bucket laid out on the field and I go, uh, I mean, there was something in there about a blue bucket, you know, and the Indians got mad when they broke the blue bucket. I think we should aim at the blue bucket. I mean, how, how dumb would that be? And so as we study this book of Ecclesiastes, I want you to understand that Solomon is a guide worth following. Now, this morning, what we're going to do is we're just going to really quickly look and talk about why Solomon 1 is a guide worth following. Because that actually could be a debatable topic. You think about the life Solomon lived. You think about some of the things Solomon got into and you go, I don't really know if I want to be following that guy. I mean, think about some of the sins. Think about some of the things that Solomon did with his life. And you kind of ask yourself, is that, is that really someone I should be following? The, the answer is yes. Um, I'll just spoil that. Uh, yes, we should be following Solomon. We should learn from his example. But then I want to look over the course of today and look where he is leading us. So let's open in a word of prayer and let's dive into the book of Ecclesiastes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you so much for the book of Ecclesiastes that you preserved for us. I thank you for Solomon and the things you allowed him to do in his life. Uh, I thank you for bringing him back to a state of repentance. I thank you for preserving his life and preserving his journals for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would help each one of us to live by this guide that you've laid out for us. I thank you, Lord, and I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So, we are here in Ecclesiastes, and uh, like I said, Ecclesiastes is Solomon's journal. All right. As we read through the book of Ecclesiastes, I've already given you one phrase that you really, really want to know. It's this word vanity. Vanity is used throughout the book. As you're reading it, it has a world of different meanings. We don't have time to get into all those, but summarize it this way. The word vanity has this idea of vapor. It has the idea of something that looks substantial. It looks like it has some substance to it, but the moment you try to latch onto it, it vanishes. Okay. 
it can have, have the idea of frustration and it can have the idea of like, oh, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, though it's all those different ways of being used throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. But the beauty is the translators didn't even try to interpret it. They just always said, vanity? Okay, that's, that's how we're going to translate this word, hevel. And so the Hebrew word is vapor. The English word is vanity. And so what Solomon is going to do is he's going to come to a lot of things in life and he's going to say, hey guys, the conclusion I came to after doing these experiments and trying to figure out what life's all about, I'm just going to say this, vanity of vanity. So vapor of vapor, all is vanity, all is vapor. And he's just using that expression over and over and over again. There's another expression you want to know, and it's this idea of vexation of spirit. Solomon is going through a lot of things in his life. He's, he's struggled through a lot of things in his life. He's had a lot of possessions. He's had a lot of things he's tried to accomplish. And what he's going to do is he's going to come to the end and he's going to, he's going to use the word vanity of vanities. And then he's going to say, it's all just vexation of spirit. And, and to give you, it's the idea of like trying to catch the wind in a net. All right. I realize that illustration doesn't mean as much to us. So I like to use the illustration of imagine we opened up this door over here and I heard it in about 300 cats. Okay. Now that would be enough vexation for me. Sorry, if you're a cat lover, I realize you just tuned me out. But, but, uh, but let's say we, we drew in 300 cats and I gave you the wonderful job of herding said cats out that door over there. And I was like, all right, go for it. You get all those cats and I mean, cats don't listen. All right, and uh, it's probably, you're probably gonna get injured in the process if you try picking them up. Uh, I remember I had a cat once as a kid and like, I was holding it and the thing like turned around and, like, and it was like, ah! uh, you know, and, and so, I don't have a good experience with cats. The word vexation tied in with herding cats really does do a good picture for me. You, you use whatever animal will randomly attack your ankles. All right, but I want you to think about that because the idea of vanity of vanities is this idea of vapor. It's something you're reaching out for and when you think you got it, it vanishes. And then the word vexation of spirit has this idea of, of it's just this frustration. It's a task I cannot accomplish. It's nearly impossible. All right, those are the two key... F- uh, expressions or words you're going to see through the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me throw in one more before we begin. You're like, wait, you, you haven't begun yet? Oh, no. Like I said, I can teach a whole year on this topic. All right. And uh, the, the last one is this idea of under the sun. As you are trying to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, what you need to do every now and then is you need to think of this expression under the sun. And I want you to imagine it this way. Imagine I was talking to you And I said, the universe stops at the ceiling. So all of reality, everything that we know to exist, stops right there at the ceiling. And for just imaginative purposes, let's pretend there was nothing above the ceiling. What would be the point of praying, living a life for God, doing anything self, like if the universe really did end at the ceiling? If there was nothing above the ceiling, what would be the point of a lot of the things we do as Christians? It, it really, there wouldn't be much of a point. So what Solomon is doing throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is occasionally he's hopping into this theory mode where he's saying, guys, for a moment, let's pretend that there's nothing above the sun. Let's pretend that there is nothing beyond the clouds. What's the point? How do we know there's an afterlife? How do we know any of this stuff? If there's nothing above the sun, life is pointless. Now that's kind of dark and that's kind of grim. 
But what Solomon's intentionally going to do is he's going to say, let's remove God from the picture and look at what life is like. And then at the end of the book, he goes, oh, but by the way, yeah, God exists. All right, so serve God now while you're young. And as you're getting older, you just continue trusting him. The, the entire 12th chapter of the book is a big extended poem about getting old and dying. So if you really want encouragement, go read that one first. Uh, but, but those are the three key expressions that you're going to find throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Because the book of Ecclesiastes is an extremely dangerous book to take out of context. It's extremely dangerous because there are going to be times where Solomon talks and is like, what's the difference between humans and animals? They're no different. They all go to the same place. And you're like, excuse me? Oh, un- yeah, if you're assuming under the sun. And yes, they do all go into the same place in that we all go into the ground. But after that, there's, there's some differences. You know? and, and he'll talk about life is pointless. And you're like, but life's not pointless, Solomon. He's like, ah, but under the sun, life is pointless. And life lived for yourself is pointless. And so this morning, as we continue, really quick, let's look at Solomon as our guide. We've looked at what he said, but now let's look at him as a trustworthy guide. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Okay? So we've got a son of David. He is king in Jerusalem. That's pretty much Solomon. All right? He goes further and he says, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. Now, now don't get confused by this word preacher. It just basically means a guy who speaks to an assembly. That's the, the Hebrew word is Kohelet, which is it, it, basically the speaker, the speaker to an assembly. All right? And so that's what this guy is. He's speaking to an assembly. So if you can imagine Solomon's like a professor sitting up before a class full of students and saying, All right, so let me tell you the words of the speaker. And then he goes and he says this. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Okay, so now we've seen a few of our key phrases. One generation passeth, passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. And so again, he's, he's speaking poetically. He's not saying that the earth will never be destroyed. But he's saying, let's take a look at the stuff that matters. Because even the earth, where it's just going to continue to exist, all this stuff on the earth is transient. And he's going to talk about all the things that we look at as permanent, and he's saying, yeah, but they're not. And that's a frustration to us. That's a a thing that we could say is a vapor. It's a confusion to us. But look what he says. He says, one generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. So so you think about how important this generation is. Uh, Just recently, I was looking over some old presidents to try to figure some details out. And I came upon some presidential names that I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. He was a president. Oh, yeah. I mean, back in like 1850, so I didn't know him. But, but like, yeah, he was a president. And, and in his time, he was considered like a great president because he, he didn't get involved in individual people's lives too much. He kind of let things run. And so he was considered a very effective president. But most people today would be like, who? Oh, yeah, that guy. Hey, you remember that year when there were three different presidents in one year? Nope. Exactly. Because we don't remember. We don't care. And, and that's the thing that happens where, where the big names in one generation just die off and are forgotten in the next. The, the big deal, like you, you think, uh, I, I was talking to you guys earlier, and, and we talk about buildings that are no longer even there. We talk about monuments that aren't there anymore. It was a big deal at the time. But ultimately, things wear away, they get destroyed, they pave a road over it, they build a football field over it, and you never see it again. It, it's amazing just looking around Wolf Mountain and the changes we've made over the last 10 years. That place has been around since the 60s. And you have people who show up and they're like, oh, 
paneling on the wall of the dining hall. Yeah, that used to be there. And then they pulled it off. And now you're putting it back on. You think you're doing this great thing, but suddenly it's like, oh, time passes. And you forget the past. And he goes on, he says, the sun ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and then it hastes to the place where it arose. He goes on, he says, the wind goeth toward the south, and turneth to the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. And under the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. So he's just going through all of these things in nature that are just cyclical. You think like, oh man, that river finally made it to the ocean. Yeah! It evaporates, it goes right back up to the top of the mountain, it starts all over. What difference did it make? Oh man, like that ground was eroded by that river, but uh, then that landslide pushed all the ground back in. Oh, that tectonic movement moved that mountain back up. And you just got this constant cycle. And he's just drawing attention to the fact that life is cycles. All the rivers run into the sea and the sea is not full. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is not filled with hearing. I'm going to pause here because a lot of times people use this kind of verse for bad things. You know, they'll say things about like young men and they'll say like, oh, the eye is not filled with seeing. You know, he's just going to keep going back to that same sin. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It is. But I can tell you, my wife and I have traveled to national parks all over this country. We love it. It's awesome. I think we got to like six, seven last, anyway, like the last month we were traveling across and we hit like seven of them. It was awesome. But you know what? We always look forward to going back. If you've ever been to the Redwoods of Northern California, like... I've been up there multiple times. And while I'm there, I'm looking forward to the next time I get to come back. And then I have to smack myself and say, enjoy it while you're here. You're here. But your eye isn't satisfied with seeing. You get something, and then suddenly you want it again. And then you want it again. And then you want it again. I don't think there would ever be a moment in my life where I'd see a redwood and go, I don't need to see a redwood ever again. It's, can't wait to see another one. And another one. And another. And, and Solomon's point is, no matter what you accomplish, no matter what you succeed in, you're always going to want it again. To, to, to put a point on this, last, last year I flew to Pensacola and I was presenting California as a mission field uh, to Pensacola Christian College. And so I, I was flying from uh, Sacramento through Texas to get to Pensacola and I was sitting next to a lady on the plane and she was currently going through a pretty bad uh, state in life. We got chatting and the fascinating thing was she had run a business worth over a million dollars. She, she was fairly financially successful, but things had taken a downturn and then COVID hit and kind of gave her the killing blow as far as her business. And she was talking about like the big house that she had had and the fancy cars that she had had and how none of it satisfied. And, and I was, I, as I was talking with her, all I could think about was Ecclesiastes. In fact, I told her, I was like, you might want to read the book. Like it, it just speaks to exactly what you've been telling me. And here's this woman who is financially, who was financially way successful. She just unbelievable success. And yet she could tell you, it just didn't, didn't satisfy. In fact, as she talked about this big house she had been in and they had to sell it and they were moving into a smaller house. She's like, even the people like the the psychiatrist or whatever, she's like, they tell you, you get like six months worth of satisfaction out of it. It's just this like hit and it's satisfying for a little bit of time. And then eh, it doesn't satisfy anymore. And on a, on a small scale, I can speak to that. You know, I've, I've been able to buy some nice, you know, collector's edition books. And you get all excited about getting those books. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it came in, it came in. And you're, you're like super excited. And you get that like hit of like satisfaction. And then you put the book on the shelf. And when's the next one I can buy? Isn't that, isn't that how life is? It's the cycle of life. 
And what Solomon is doing is Solomon is coming along and saying, guys, you, you will not be satisfied by anything that is physical. You, you will not be satisfied by this success. You will not be satisfied by this financial. You won't be satisfied. In fact, as he continues, and again, what we're doing is we're building his, his credentials because what we're about to get into, look in this, verse uh, 11, there is no remembrance of the former things, neither there shall there be any remembrance of the things that are come by those who come thereafter. And then we start getting into Solomon's credentials. If we were to doubt Solomon's credentials, now, Solomon did a lot of bad things, but I think that actually speaks well to his credentials. I was reading in 1 Peter yesterday, and what I find fascinating in 1 Peter is, is Peter is talking to the congregation, and he says, you know what, you guys, as a congregation, you lived in some pretty wicked lifestyles in your past. And he basically says, suffice it to leave that type of lifestyle in the past. And, and I know, like, growing up, I never had alcohol in the house, never had anything of that type of nature, but my parents came out of that lifestyle. And the whole reason my dad gave up drinking after he got saved was because he was on a cruise and the guy at the bar said, what are you, a bunch of Christians? You're not getting alcohol? And my dad was like, huh? Christians aren't supposed to drink? Oh. And this was some unsaved guy who was just spouting off trying to get people to come drink at the bar. And my dad was like, what? And he chose not to. But hearing stories of my parents and talking about what alcohol did in their lives and what alcohol did in their parents' lives it sufficed me to say, mm, I'm good. I, I don't need to go that route. You know, it, it's kind of like the first time you put your hand on a hot stove or the first time you do something that hurts you, you go, I, I'm going to let that suffice to be a lesson, not doing that again. I, I told you I was a chemistry teacher and there was one time I was trying to make oxygen and I had hydrochloric acid and I was pouring it into this container and doing an experiment and, and you were supposed to bubble it up through some, some ice and, and it would filter out the, the acidic air. And I had played around with it enough that it hadn't hurt me before. But as I was trying to deal with it this time, the acid was coming up in, in vapor form and burning my arms. And I'm sitting there going, ow, like it is never, like in all my years of doing this, it has never felt like this before. I, I learned my lesson, all right? I, I didn't have to go back again and go, um, maybe I should try doing that acid experiment again without gloves. No, I sufficed it to say, I learned my lesson, I'm not going back. And so that's where I think Solomon is actually the perfect guide. Because Solomon went through all of these wicked things, and he comes along and like 1 Peter, that's why I reference that passage, like 1 Peter says, suffice it to leave that stuff in the past. You've experienced it, you know the pain, so leave it there and stop trying to go back to it. Solomon could say, guys, I lived for money. I know what it does to you. Guys, I lived for just simply knowing everything. I know what it does. Guys, I, I lived for the women, wine, and song. 700 wives, 300 concubines, you ain't gonna beat my number, all right? And he says, I, I did it. You're not gonna match me. And I want to look at some of the qualifications of Solomon because look what he says. He says, I, the preacher, was king. Okay, that's, that's pretty big. So if you're like, I just want more power. Okay, well, he's king, so you can't beat him there. I was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I caved my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all the things that are done in the heaven and this sore travail that God has given the sons of men to be exercised therewith. 
I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. Again, in this case, he's meaning it more of just like everything the sun touches, I've seen it. All right, but, but again, at times you'll see that under the sun used in the way I've described before. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. I commune with my heart and said, Lo, I am come to great estate. I have gotten more wisdom than all they that were before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly, and I perceived that this is also vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee, and now he starts his experiment, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. Behold, this is also vanity. So he starts off and he says, I am going to learn as much as I can, and now I'm going to have as much fun as I could possibly have. Okay, temporary hit. That's good. Look where he goes next. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself to wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men that they should do unto the sun all the days of their life. So he tries the party lifestyle. He tries the alcohol lifestyle. He tries the wisdom lifestyle. Look at this. He said, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees of them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water. I take care of the pool at camp. I don't know why you'd want to do that. Uh, I'm just kidding. This isn't that type of pool. All right, this is, he's creating big industrial works like aqueducts and fountains and all these things that could, could lead water to places that otherwise didn't have it. He's making pools of water to water the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possession above cattle that were above any in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings. I just want you to stop and think about that because here's a guy who says, I have all of the, the financial riches you could want, but I also had some of the cool knickknacks, you know, like those, those cool trophies. Like, like, you know, you go to Egypt and you come back with, you know, a pyramid. And you're like, yeah, I got, not, not the little one, like the, the big, like he just took the whole... That's the type of thing he's saying. And, and if you read some of the stuff that he had shipped to him, I mean, the exotic animals and the exotic spices and the exotic everything. This is a guy who said, not only do I have the money, I have all the cool knickknacks. You know, I have the custom-built car. I, I have the custom-built house. He lived that lifestyle. And look what it came of. He says, I had these, these unique possessions I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. And so I was great and I increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem and my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. This, this is fascinating too. If you study out you know, depression in some of those, those conditions, when you start looking at it and you're like, sometimes soulless work can really do a number on your soul. You know, you're like, I'm doing a job I hate. And it's making me miserable and it's having a really bad effect on me. Solomon says, oh, I, I delighted in all the work I got to do. It was fun. 
it was enjoyable. I wasn't, you know, doing the, the, this shift that I hated at a job. I hate it. And he's like, I loved it. I loved my work. I loved the things I got to do. And look what he says. I, I did all of this. I kept not my heart from any joy. And this was the portion of my labor. And then at the end, look what he does in verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And what's the next phrase? What does he find it is? All is vanity and vexation of spirit, and there's no profit under the sun. And so here's a man who, for the sake of argument, is saying, let's take God out of the picture. Let's, let's work completely for self. Let's work completely for enjoyment. Let's work completely for what I can get. What's the profit? What's the point? There is none. It's vanity. It's empty. It's, it's that moment you reach out, you think you've accomplished it, you think you finally found the profit, the satisfaction, the good, you reach out and it goes, it's just frustration. And, and there really is nothing quite as frustrating as when you strove really hard to accomplish something and it just falls apart and you're like, and he says, and, and this is why he's qualified to be our guide. This is why Solomon is qualified to be someone we would listen to. In spite of all of his sin, in spite of all of the things he got into, and I'd say, in fact, because of those things. Because Solomon could say, I lived about as deep into that lifestyle as you could possibly go. I didn't, I didn't half-heart any of this. I went all in. And even going all in still didn't satisfy. I went all in. And it just brought me frustration. And then he goes this, verse 12. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly, for what can a man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath already been done? And so he's looking, at, he's looking at you, and he's looking at me, and he's saying, what could you possibly do that I hadn't? What, what can a man do that comes after me? What's already been done? And, and you understand why, for a team camp theme, we did follow your guide. Because you've got a bunch of junior hires, you've got a bunch of teenagers who are looking and they're saying, I don't believe my parents. I don't believe my teachers. I don't believe the people who are coming along and saying, don't live that way. They don't understand. There's something they're missing. No, I, I'm going to try it. It'll work for me. Is that not the mindset? that is notorious of teenagers? But let me ask you this question. Is that not the mindset that is notorious for us adults? Isn't that the mindset that is notorious of just simply being a human? It is, you don't understand, I am the exception. That's the way it is. I, I was reading through First Peter, and it's fascinating because First Peter talks a lot about Hey, look at the salvation that God has given us. Since we have that salvation, we should endure and we should put up with fellow believers who are really struggling and annoying us and we should submit to authorities. And, and you know what like Psalms talks about and Proverbs talks about and Galatians, you know what all the other books of the Bible talk about? The same thing. You know why? Because we don't follow our guide. We forget so easily. You know, when, when somebody points up a road and says, that is the path you're to take, 
And we start walking up that road and we lose track of our guide and we're walking up and we're hemmed in on both sides and we're going, this does not look like the right trail. And we start getting narrower and narrower and we're like, this does not, this, this, are you sure? And it's like, trust me, that is the way to go. And we're like, I don't think so. How many times are we tempted to turn around and quit because the way got a little too tight for us? Finances got a little too tight. Our strength got a little too tight. Our, our limited wisdom of the situation got a little too tight and we're going, no, 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 no. This, this can't be the way. But Jesus, in describing the way to heaven, he says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. And we're like, well, I trust you in that. Of course. I mean, we might be the, you know, one-tenth of one percent that actually like, got it. Yeah, good. Thank you, God. But when it comes to living the Christian life and he says, you're not off the narrow way. Things don't suddenly become easier. I just give you the strength. I sustain you. And that really, read First Peter. It's, it's fascinating. Because he talks about that. He says, since we know all this stuff God did for us, and since we know all this stuff he's going to continue, and since we know where we're heading, endure. And why do we need to keep being reminded of it? Because we keep thinking of ourselves as exceptions. We keep thinking, it doesn't apply to me. And I've seen so many Christians through my years in churches where they're like, I don't need to be in church every service. I don't, I don't need to be. I can skip this one or that one. And, and you know what? I, okay, I've got a job that takes me out of town for months at a time. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I don't actually need to be in church. I, I think if we've learned anything this last year, we not only need to be in church to hear the preaching, we need the accountability of other believers. We need that witness of like, you're sticking with it? I'm stick- <laughs> We're all sticking with it. Oh, good. And Solomon is going to bring his full credentials to bear to say, please, listen. Because there's nothing that you could do that I have not already done. There could, there's nothing you could seek after that I have not already sought after. And as we close this part of it, because we're going to continue this tonight, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I want to jump to the punchline. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon builds a case. I mean, he goes through the whole book of Ecclesiastes, illustration upon illustration upon illustration upon illustration. He, he talks to older people. He talks to children. He talks to youths. He talks to, to, he just covers the gambit. And Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the, the end of chapter 11 wraps up with a challenge to young men and women. And that's where Ecclesiastes 12 starts off. It says, serve, serve the Lord now while you're young. But then as we get to the end, it's almost like Solomon puts the journal down and says, all right, so I've just read my journal to you. Just I've just read it. And then he gets into this verse right here and he says, all right, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. All right? There, there's an expression online. You'll see it every now and then. It's TLDR. It basically means too long, didn't read. Okay? So there are times where someone writes you a super long email and they'll put the little TLDR at the bottom and you're like, ah, good, I don't have to read your email. What did you actually say? Got it. In a way, Solomon is putting his little summary at the end of his book to say, all right, guys, I know you can't grasp everything I've written. Let me just summarize it. And look what he says at the very end with all the illustrations, with all the let's pretend this is how life works. He gets here and he says, all right, guys, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What is the point? So as, as Christians, as people who are redeemed, as people who are saved, 
what are we supposed to do with our life then? We're not to live for the finances. We're not to live for the physical pleasure. We're not to live for women, women, song. We're not even supposed to live for just wisdom and learning. and all. What are we supposed to live for then? And I love it because he summarizes it in two verses that are super easy to memorize. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. First one, fear God. That's a challenge though. Because we don't always think about the fact that God sees everything we do. And he's going to come back to that point. But he starts off and he says, fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So when God says, this is the road you need to take, figuratively speaking, and we start going down that road, and it's tight, and it's awkward, and we're like, I don't like this. Keep his commandments. You just keep doing what you need to do. You keep doing what's right. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's it. And then, in case that wasn't enough for us, what he does is he summarizes it again. You can tell he's a good teacher, all right? Uh, any of you who've been teachers, you know, you've got to say the same thing like four times throughout the class. And you could have gotten out 10 minutes ago, but they weren't getting it. And so Solomon, he does it again. He says, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And then he summarizes it one more time as if we needed more encouragement. He says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. And then this is the encouragement and the fear, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so what God is doing is he's stepping back, and, and, and again, you see this throughout the Bible. And he says, guys, Solomon is, is listen to his experience. At the end of the day, fear God, keep his commandments. That's all you have to worry about, because God sees, and he will judge. And whether that because you did good and you never got praised for it, or you did evil and you never got caught. Whichever one it is, he will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. Again, good or bad. That should be an encouragement to us, but also a fear to us. And that's why Solomon, again, like I said, is a guide worth following. Now, again, tonight we're going to dig a little deeper, Lord willing, and and talk about some of the other aspects he's challenging us with. Uh, But I just wanted to plant those seeds and lay that introduction. Uh, I would challenge you this afternoon, if you get time, start thumbing through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, if you have any specific questions as you read it, please let me know. Uh, but we do want to dig a little deeper into it, Lord willing, tonight. So let's close in prayer, and then I'll turn it back over. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you so much for all that you've given us. I thank you, Lord, for being our Savior. I thank you for dying on the cross to save us. I thank you for, for seeing our need and, and just meeting that need, Lord. And I know I didn't get into it, but Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice that has yet to accept me as savior, accept you as Savior, Lord. I pray that they would talk to me, talk to one of the other members of the church, and I pray that they would get that right tonight. Thank you, Lord, and I pray this all in your name. Amen.